Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. I have just returned from the Who Do You Think You Are live event in London, England, and it was I had a marvelous time. Uh, They invited me over there to give a presentation on how to make Google work harder for your family history, which of course I love talking about. And so I made the rounds for three days talking with attendees, interviewing the experts and the vendors and pretty much just being in hog heaven, as my grandmother would say. They had some of the celebrities there that have been featured on the UK version of Who Do You Think You Are?, Ainsley Harriet was on stage when I arrived to get ready for my talk. Now, I fully admit I was not familiar with him, but it's really clear in just watching him talk that uh, he's a lot of fun, a really interesting guy, and the audience was really enjoying hearing from him personally about his experience on the show. When we first got to the conference center, it was uh, kind of like old home week because I saw many of the folks that I had seen recently in Salt Lake City at the Roots Tech Conference. Um, folks like Jan Gao, who was there all the way from New Zealand, and who, by the way, is my special guest on today's show. Uh, also, APG board member Alvi Davidson, who's been here on the podcast, Anna Corinne Shander from Sweden. Uh, Maureen Taylor, the photo detective, who you'll be hearing more from in an episode very soon. And uh, also premium member Jeanette Rosenberg was there. And I met some new friends like Elsa Churchill, who just does an amazing job organizing the Society of Genealogists portion of a live event. She's like Wonder Woman. (laughs) Elsa was responsible for all the workshops being held there at Who Do You Think You Are? And she was so friendly and calm. She made it look so easy, even though I know it must have been a tremendous amount of work putting it all together. And I do want to thank Elsa very much for inviting me to be part of the show. It was a wonderful experience. And here's an example of the power of the internet, and specifically social media like Facebook. The first booth that we stopped by was the My Heritage booth, and there were my old friends, Shelley Dardashti and Daniel Horowitz. Now, Bill and I had been in England about a week or so, traveling and doing research on his family, and I had posted a couple of things about our experiences and things that had happened along the way. Um, Like, for example, (laughs) when we first got up to Huntington, which is where we were uh, researching the very early times of the family back in uh, early 1800s, that's where his great-great-grandfather was born, uh, in Brampton, I should say. And anyway, so we were in that area, and there was a great old manor house there. It's called Hinchingbrook. And that is, according to um, Grandfather Cook's autobiography, his father, Harry Cook, had forged the gates, the beautiful ironwork gates of this manor house in the um, probably about, I'd say, 1885, 1890 time frame. And um, so, in fact, Grandpa Cook had made the trip in the 1950s, I think, to go and visit this Hinchingbrook house to see the gates for himself. So, of course, that was one of the first things on our list. And I was really excited because 
I had been able to make arrangements to get a personal tour of the home in addition to just going over and seeing it. I guess now it's a school and, a, and it's a public type of building. But uh, anyway, school was out during that week and they were very gracious and said, oh, sure, come on over and they would give us a tour. So we, first of all, I couldn't believe it. I, I guess we didn't set our alarms and we thought we had completely made the transition as far as jet lag. But uh, when we woke up that morning, we had a one o'clock appointment to go and see the house. And um, it was 2 p.m. <laughs> when we woke up, I, we were just in shock because we were sure that we had fully made that transition and thought, oh, it must be nine o'clock in the morning. You know, no problem. We'll sleep in a little bit. And it was 2 p.m. And it was raining. So we were scrambling around and trying to get a taxi to get over to this house. And would they still see us? And if we could just get a picture of the gate, we'd be happy, right? So we got there and they were just wonderful about it. They said, oh, absolutely. Come on in and we'll show you around. And somehow I, I kneeled down sort of on the floor so I could take a photograph of Bill standing underneath this big portrait in the main entry. And I thought, oh, this will be kind of cool. This is artsy, right? <laughs> and I take this photograph and I promptly dropped our brand new camera. Now, Bill had been so wonderful. He bought this brand new camera to take on this trip because we were going to be going to Who Do You Think You Are? And we were going to see all these wonderful family locations. We wanted really good pictures. Unbelievably, I dropped it and I went to turn it back on and it was broken. I mean, it wasn't more than two feet off the ground. So anyway, uh, I dropped and broke this camera and I'm standing there just beside myself, unhappy. And this woman walked in the room. And of course, the house was empty otherwise. And the gal who was going to tour us was busy off doing something for a minute. And a lady walked up kind of dressed up fancy. And she said, Oh, my goodness, why do you look so forlorn? And I said, I somehow have managed to drop and break this camera. And we're here to see my husband's uh, the gates that his great grandfather built and da, 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 da. And she looks over and she says, Ian, Ian, and this gentleman Ian comes from another room. And He's, she says, I'm here putting, you know, making arrangements and getting ready for this 50th birthday party that we're going to be having this evening at the manor house for my 50th birthday. And I have this professional photographer, you take Ian wherever you want to go and take all the photographs you want. And he will send them to you. He'll email them to you. <laughs> I mean, talk about genealogical serendipity. I, I just couldn't believe our good fortune. I, I, I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, yes, yes. She says, you cannot come all the way from the West Coast of the United States to see the gates and see the house and not have photographs. So wonderful Ian followed us around and took beautiful professional photographs um, outside and inside. And anyway, they are wonderful. So if you'd like to see a photograph of the gates that Harry Cook forged, you will find them in the show notes. I'm very, very pleased and very um, thrilled to have those photographs because otherwise, without Ian and Terry, who was there to have her party, it just never would have happened. So anyway, I posted this little story on Facebook, on my Facebook page, while we were, you know, traveling around. Because it was just so amazing to me that it had happened and it all worked out beautifully. And people were commenting and saying that it's wonderful. Well, we walk into the Who Do You Think You Are um, event. We go up to the my heritage booth and there's Daniel. And um, he says, <laughs> he's like, 
oh, so, you know, hey, how did the, did you bring any of those photographs of the gates that you took of, that Bill great, Bill's great-grandfather made? And I just did a double take, and I'm thinking, how in the world did Daniel Horowitz, who's here from Israel, know about us being in Huntington and taking these pictures? Anyway, he says, oh, I read it on Facebook the other day. And I was thinking, that is just incredible. I mean, no matter where you are in the world, what you're doing, you can share your genealogy stories, and people can stay totally up to speed. And anyway, so we sat there and we had a good laugh about it and talked about it. And I just thought, that's amazing. It was it was very odd having somebody from Israel in London, knowing what I was doing in England when I had come from the US all over the place. Amazing. So anyway, that was pretty cool. And here is another story, kind of an example of how the internet brings people together. Several years ago, when I first posted the Cook Family Tree online, I was able to make contact with a Cook descendant in England. And over the years, you know, he had, we'd been in touch just randomly, and he'd put me in touch with an, the wife of another Cook descendant. And then just recently, she had put me in touch with yet another Cook descendant. And so I sent out an email uh, shortly before we left and said that we would be at this conference. You know, I didn't have any idea where they lived in England. Um, and but, you know, if anybody was going to be there, you know, c- come over and say hi or whatever. And it wasn't real clear who was going to be able to make it, if anybody. Well, after my presentation that I did on Google on Sunday, Um, I stepped down off the stage and they all came up afterwards. And we had, oh my goodness, we had uh, Louise who was there and Marcus and his mom and dad. And we all went out into the, the gallery section, the upstairs section, grabbed some chairs and got together in a circle. And we just talked and got to know each other for two solid hours upstairs in the upper gallery of, of the Who Do You Think You Are um, exhibit hall. It it was just a little, our own little family reunion right there. And it was amazing. I was thrilled uh, and very surprised that they were all able to make it. And Marcus had brought his um, family tree printed out and we were sharing and looking at photographs. And it was just tremendous. And I think that that experience really made a strong impression on my husband, Bill. He was already showing signs, you know, of catching the genealogy bug as we were traveling around to these various cook ancestral locations that I had all plotted out on Google Earth, um, a map that I'd put together. But I think that meeting these wonderful people, these distant cousins of his in person, and in fact, one of them bore an uncanny resemblance to Bill's father when he was young. It was really incredible. I think that experience really made family history real to him in a way that it just hadn't been before. You know, we never would have met these relatives without having done the family history research. And and now, you know, our family has grown and we're looking forward to making plans to get together again and see each other. And, And as someone who's been researching the Cook family for over 10 years, it was just so exciting to know that there's always something new around the corner. And always new cousins to meet. And I think that meeting them and realizing, you know, how much we all had in common. uh, So funny. Marcus's dad was saying a couple of things. And uh, I was I looked at him, I said, Oh, my gosh, you're such a cook. (laughs) Because it was just the kind of thing that Bill would say, or his brother, Um, just so many similarities. It's just one of those experiences that 
it's hard to um, put it into words. But when you're sitting there experiencing, I could just see this look on Bill's face. And he said, I'm still kind of speechless. I don't even know how to put into words how meaningful that was and just how much it meant to me personally, um, just to see my family grow a little bit larger and, and to see these commonalities between us. And yet we live halfway around the world from each other. So that was a really wonderful, wonderful experience. Now, I could go on and on about, you know, all the different uh, touring that we did. I don't want to bore you with all that. But there were some amazing things that happened. I, I have to tell you, we got up to Huntington. And, um, and of course, we were there because back in 1803, um, Solomon Cook was born in Grafham, which is just a couple of miles west of, or, yeah, west of there. And, and then many, and his son was born in Brampton. It's all right there in this little cluster of towns. But Huntington was the main town. And so I decided to book the bed and breakfast there in Huntington because I don't even think they had any accommodations in the smaller villages. So I was looking around and I ended up um, selecting a location. It's called the Braywood House. It was a bed and breakfast. And um, so we walk up and I see this plaque on the, um, the front door. And it says the old, and I thought it was Gowl. It said G-A-O-L. And I kept saying in my head, this is the old Gowl. Hmm, I'm going to have to ask them what the Gowl is. Well, it's literally jail. Jail. <laughs> and it was the old jail. So I was telling the innkeepers that we were there doing some research of the family. And in fact, one of the last, one of the most recent documents that I had gotten um, about Solomon Cook, who, of course, was kind of the patriarch as far back as we can get, um, was that he was a bit of a scallywag. Um, he got himself into some trouble over the years um, during the early part of the 19th century. And it's interesting because all of his children seemed to be very um, accomplished and certainly got into trades and, and did very well for themselves and continued to, to move up in life. But he was just kind of a problem child, if you will. Um, I, I had a record of him stealing potatoes and I think a book. And it was interesting because just before we came over, one of the cousins had sent me another record from about 1846 where he'd actually abandoned his family for a period of time. And eventually he just kind of falls off the map. We don't really know what happened to Solomon. But it was so interesting because I went back and looked and it said the record of the gaol, the G-A-O-L, across the top. And I'm thinking, ah, where have I seen that before? And anyway, it turns out the bed and breakfast that we were staying in was the old, the site of the old jail where Solomon had been held. <laughs> Can you believe that? The manor house um, of the main bed and breakfast, and we were staying in an adjoining cottage, was, I believe, the uh, the home or the manor for the keeper of the jail. The actual cells that would have been part that are part of the estate that they still own there, those are gone. They're uh, they've been torn down, but they had a wonderful little paperback book there that somebody locally had just published in the last year, and it was the whole history of this jail, this place where Solomon had had been sent more than once. <laughs> and I just, we were, Bill looked at me and he says, you had to have planned this. And I said, I didn't. I totally did not know that this is where we were. But it was so funny because 
me telling him that Solomon had been in jail a couple of times and arrested for a couple of misdemeanors, uh, nothing terrible, but just, you know, stealing and taking nails and that kind of stuff. Um, I think Solomon had always kind of stood out in his mind as one of the ancestors he actually remembers me talking about. And, and he knew that Grafham, which was the town, the little village we were going to go see, was the, the birthplace or of, of Solomon's children. That's where they kind of settled. And so, and, you know, of course, the jail really kind of stood out in his mind, the idea that one of his ancestors had been there. And to have ended up staying right there on the same exact site was amazing. So uh, anyway, the innkeepers were wonderful and gracious, and they gave me a copy of the book, and we have it. So we've been pouring over that and looking back over those old records that have been sent to us. And it all just means so much more now, doesn't it? Because we've seen it for ourselves, and we've stayed there. And of course, uh, we visited a seaside town where we uh, took, oh, I think I've mentioned Margaret here on the show before. We stayed in a breakfast, bed and breakfast out there, found a couple of wonderful old houses from the 1700s where um, the Munns family was from, and they're still standing. The numbers are still there. It's just amazing how preserved it is. And then we ended up in Tunbridge Wells. And the, I guess the interesting thing about the bed and breakfast, those of you in the UK who are listening, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it didn't mean a lot to me at the time. We were staying in a bed and breakfast that was once the home of one of the actors who played Doctor Who. Okay, now, some people seem to go, whoa, you're kidding. And I was like, I've never seen it. I haven't seen Doctor Who. I've heard of it. I definitely have. But I guess that is what that house was famous for. It was a wonderful bed and breakfast. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, but there we went to Tunbridge Wells. And I have told you before that uh, Raymond Cook, Bill's grandfather, had played in the silent movies. Gosh, that was one of the first topics I covered here on the Genealogy Gems podcast when I first started. And we were reading from his autobiography and talking about um, the music that they played. And in fact, I've played some of the songs that he recorded in the 1960s that come from that silent film era. Well, back before they immigrated around 1900 through 1912, they lived in Tunbridge Wells, and um, Raymond had become a very accomplished violinist early on in life. Uh, in his early teens, he was already playing in the orchestra at the newly built Tunbridge Wells Opera House. And his mother, um, as a way of kind of earning extra income, would house some of the actors that were traveling and coming through, and they would get some rent that way. And she was a very accomplished musician, and she also did some bit parts and played in the orchestra and that type of thing. So, of course, the first place we went to track down was the Tunbridge Wells Opera House. It's still there. Uh, it still basically looks the same, but now it's a pub. It's a pub and restaurant. So I didn't have high hopes that it would be much the same inside, but we walked in, and it is essentially the Opera House, and they've just plugged in tables and some railings, but all the box seats are there, all the ornate um, decoration and the red velvet. And it's all essentially the same. They've just kind of incorporated this restaurant and pub into it. So amazing. We went and we got a table center stage. And we sat there on the stage of the Tunbridge Wells Opera House, uh, looking down at the orchestra pit where Harry would have played. And we had some fish and chips and a pint. And it was amazing. And I have... Um, in fact, I need to oh, I need to get all my pictures and my videos out. I've I've recorded some, but over time, if I if I can, I'm going to get this all put together so I can get it into the show notes, but I'll share it with you because 
again, the look on Bill's face was just priceless. And I have to say, it, it's not even my family, technically. I mean, it's my kid's family, so that really matters to me. But it just blew me away. It was, I, you know, I think that's why we're all so captivated by the Who Do You Think You Are television series. Because you're watching this experience. And then when you have it yourself, and you're there in person, it's just... I don't know. It's like it rocks you down in your core and you feel like somehow you are literally reaching back in time. And you really are connecting with these ancestors that you've learned so much about in this totally new way. I don't even know what that new way is. I don't know how to describe it to you. And I know that many of you who have gone out and and visited places in person will know what I'm talking about, what I'm trying to say. Um, But it, it was absolutely as captivating and as fulfilling as I could possibly have hoped that it would be. It, it really was. That's the best thing I can say. And there we had, uh, we got a private tour of Sir David Solomon's house. I've talked about that on the show. Um, how Harry Cook, Raymond's father, had worked for Sir David Solomon. He helped bring that car to Tunbridge Wells, where they had the horseless carriage exhibition. I often use that as an example in many of my classes. Um, we got to see it all firsthand, and it was just fantastic. So um, I'm sure that I'll have other stories to tell you as, as I remember them and, and get through all of our pictures and our videos. But I knew if anybody would really understand um, our joy in doing all of this, it would be you uh, listening, because it, it was just such a wonderful experience. And all I can say is I just now I've got, you know, six more trips I need to put together because I want to have the same experience with my sides of the family, and I'd love to bring the kids and get them involved and and have them experience it as well. So all amazing stuff. So we didn't do a whole lot of genealogy news in this episode, and I'm not doing a whole lot of mailbox, but I just wanted to share for with you a, a very personal experience that that we just found so rewarding. And um, again, thank you so much to everyone over at, uh, in London at the Who Do You Think You Are conference and Boy, you just want to put it out into the, to the world. You know, thank you to everybody who seemed to cross our path on this trip. Who from from Terry, who's having the party, and Ian, her photographer, and people who took time out of their day who really didn't have to or didn't get paid to, you know, to to spend time with us, visiting these locations, giving us um, tours. The people in England were phenomenal. I mean. Everybody, without exception, on the street was so helpful and so kind and so understanding that we were lost half the time <laughs> and pointing us in the right direction. Um, boy, people are just, I, you know, really renews your faith in, in, in people and that we're all pretty darn nice. Lots of darn nice people out there. So um, wonderful, wonderful times. Coming up next, we're going to just shift gears completely. And we're going to reach back into Roots Tech, which is uh, what the conference, the brand new conference that occurred in Salt Lake City in February, which I did right before we left for London. And I want to share with you an interview with uh, a wonderful genealogist that I know that you're going to enjoy hearing from. And that's Jan Gao. And she's coming up right after this. Roots Magic 4 has been completely rewritten and is now even more powerful and makes building your family tree easier than ever. I love it. With Roots Magic, you can add unlimited facts, 
Find anyone in your database with lightning speed with Roots Magic Explorer. Quickly and easily create perfectly formatted sources with the Roots Magic Source Wizard. Create customized reports. And best of all, you can now take Roots Magic wherever your research takes you with the Roots Magic to go, which lets you run Roots Magic directly off your flash drive. And Roots Magic makes it a snap to share your family history. Publish a book, create stunning wall charts, shareable CDs, even generate websites automatically from your data. To download your risk-free trial of Roots Magic 4, head to rootsmagic.com. See why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic at rootsmagic.com. Well, in this gem, I have an interview with Jan Gao. She's the CEO at Hooked on Genealogy Tours out of New Zealand. And she also runs Beehive Books at beehivebooks.co.nz. As I was looking through the schedule and the syllabus for the Roots Tech Conference that was recently held in uh, February of 2011 in Salt Lake City, one of the classes that caught my eye was one that Jan was going to be giving, and it was called Create Your Own Family Reference Library and Catalog, Always at Your Fingertips. This sounded like something um, that we really haven't talked so much about on the show and something I know I could certainly benefit from. And Jan is just a joy to speak with. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jan Gao. Well, have you ever wanted to uh, create your own family reference library or catalog? Uh, I think I've got somebody here who might be able to help you to do it. Uh, Joining me right now here at the Roots Tech Conference is Jan Gao, and she's with Hooked on Genealogy Tours, all the way from Auckland, New Zealand, correct? Hi, Jan. Hi. (laughs) Great to have you here. As I was going through the schedule and the syllabus, um, this caught my eye because we all have so many materials and books and things that we've collected over time. And it sounds like this class that you're doing maybe gives us some tips. Can we really create our own reference library? Is this, would this be in our own home? Well, on your own computer. Yeah. And not only on your own computer, on your own flash drive, because the program that I'm suggesting you use, TreePad, runs from a flash drive. Oh, great. Now, what's it called again? TreePad. Tree it's just a coincidence that we've got that word tree. <laughs> so, That's easy to remember, though. So it's nothing to do with genealogy. And is this is a, a program that comes on the flash drive, or do we download it off the uh, Internet? You download it from the Internet, but you don't have to install it on a computer. It, you, can, you can run it in a, a way where it doesn't need the registry to be writing to. And so it will be just everything on your flash drive. Fantastic. Now, is there, uh, first of all, a cost for that program? Okay. It's, uh, it's, the website is treepad.com. If you go there, you'll see that you can download a light version, which is free. And then they have the plus version and the biz version of the two, two that are relevant to us. And they are around $30 and around $40. And, but you can try each of them for three weeks for free. 
good. So you can test drive it out. And certainly $30 or $40 is a small investment if we're talking about really getting organized. What can TreePad do for us? Well, what what TreePad does is um, it allows you to create a structure that looks rather like Windows Explorer. So you're going to have folders and subfolders, etc. Except TreePad calls them nodes because it's a tree. Um, and you can just create whatever you like, uh, anything, anything at all. I, I will show people in the class some examples of other ways of, of using it. But um, for like, well, the good example is that I had to go to a hospital unexpectedly, and you know, straight to hospital. Don't go home to get your toothbrush. Just oh go straight to hospital. And I was there for 11 days, and I kept on thinking of things that I wanted to have in hospital. One of the things I did have was my computer because it was my knee that I'd injured. And um, I kept on asking for David to bring more things, so I put that all into TreePad, so that if ever I should ha- be in that same ex- uh, position again, I can go straight to TreePad or send David to TreePad, and here's the list of all the things I feel I need for a hospital stay. You know? So it sounds like it's we're talking cloud computing, correct? Are we keeping a lot of our data kind of up on the internet with no, TreePad, or is all, it all on our all own computer? On your own computer. Oh, okay. This is on your own computer, but of course you could use Dropbox or one of those right. other programs. So that you could access it that that way. So what I do with the reference library is I have a template which you can use over and over again. Is that something that you developed? I've developed, but um, you... They're just ideas. I'm a great believer in giving people ideas, and especially because my template is based on UK research. Okay, so for those who have no UK or want to use it for their American research, they'll need to change the folder headings, you know, the templates, and create their own template, which they can use over and over again. It's very easy to do, and very easy to uh, copy a, a sub-node. So, for instance, one of the things I love with my reference library is for the places. So, so I have the first node is for the country, and so you may want to, and you're working on it one particular family, one particular couple, and they may well have started for me in England and then come to Australia and then on to New Zealand, and so I'm going to want three countries. So it's just a simple matter to highlight the country and um, copy it and then just paste it in again for your three countries. Uh-huh. And then within each country, you'll go to the next division, which of course for me is county, but you would have state, and I would have state for, for Australia. Yeah. And then you, so you can have as many uh, of that division as you wish by just copying and pasting. And then you get down to the places within that state or that county, and um, they may well be your definition of a county here in the, in the states. And again, you just paste as many as you need into it. And then we have um, within once you got to that place you're to the nitty-gritty and you're going to want things like an old map of of that area a modern map um, perhaps a description from a gazetteer um, the urls that you found that relate to that place maybe you're going to have photographs of that place Um, and the one that i love is really going into the family history library catalog and uh, copying and pasting the list of resources that are on that catalogue for that place. And we list those there and then you take them one by one and, and expand on it showing just what's on that film or that feature or in that book 
and then you can even uh, put a note to say that you want to research that next time you can and then when you've researched it you can say what you found there. You're not going to write it, write what you found but you're going to say you found something for this family and that family or that it was no good, there was nothing there for you. And so you've got that tracking in your personal reference library. So it sounds kind of like building your own card catalog. Would that be a way of describing what you're describe talking about? Like that, yes, okay. as well. So it's going to have the hyperlinks. We can yes. go to those things, um, yes. but it's sitting on our hard drive versus buried in a favorites file or yes. something like that. That's exactly right. It's, it's it's really taking. If you'd gone to a, a library like in Salt Lake and you'd gone and looked at all the books that you can find, looked at all the maps that you could find and then you maybe got all these heaps of photocopies but now it's all there on on that um, on your computer or on your flash drive and with the links to go back to look at them if that's what you need. And of course with the people, if you're finding people in the census, maybe you're having a wonderful time and you're finding people in census after census and you don't want to stop to enter that information into your genealogy program but you just file it all in your reference library and you take that image of the census and you um, paste that in but in every place it could go. So everyone who's mentioned on the census will have that census page and any other information with it. And then you'll also have a folder for the census where you track the family in each census. And you can see straight away when you're missing a census, maybe you've got unexpected time. You can just go and look and say, oh, I need the 50, 1850 census and go and look for that. So you're doubling up but it's because you can. Mm -hmm. Because it's just on your computer and it's not taking much room. So everywhere where you might need a reference, you, you plonk it in again. <laughs> and it's all within the context of gene your genealogy research, yes. right? And yeah. it's all in within a folder for that one family. And it's fully searchable with TreePad. You, you just might think, oh, I wonder where I put something about them having an engagement party or something. You can just type in engagement. It'll search through the whole lot and find it for you. So it's, it's, it's a search engine as well for your computer and for all these files. And I'm assuming photographs can be incorporated yep. into all this? Yes, photographs. And you can have all your images as a little thumbnail. Just, oh, and then when you want to look at them, you just open it up to look. And take advantage of whatever's around, like the free program that we've got incorporated with the talk is um, Parish Locator for your parishes in the UK. And uh, you can do things like... Um, get a list and a, a plot of all the parishes within eight miles or ten miles or whatever. And of course, you can use family search mapping as well. Yeah. And um, and and you paste those images in. So the whole time you're uh, screen dumping, um, ca capturing images, downloading images, and pasting them in. So yeah. what prompted you to? go forward and put together this template. Where did the idea come from? And does, I assume TreePad is not, like you said, genealogy specific. So you must have looked at this software and said, hmm, here's what I could do. Yeah, I think actually um, uh, there's a lady called the Computer Lady. I don't know if you've heard of her. And I think it was she who first alerted me to TreePad and I had a look at it. And then what was really bugging me was the fact we were doing all these internet searches but we weren't keeping track of where we'd been and what we'd found and whether you needed to go back to a site and so that's how I started using TreePad first of all, keeping track of my internet searches. Uh, I 
search the internet to prepare for a paper on the beginning and ending of the internet. That was from Jeff Rasmussen from Legacy because he talks oh. about here's the end of the internet, yeah, you know, and there, and there is a website, the end of the internet, and. Um, and as I searched, researched, I found that there was all this talk about how to use search engines, but they never ever talked about recording what you'd found and keeping track of it. So I started that system whereby you, again, started with a family, and then you had your favorite search engines. I always suggest you have three or four. And then you, so you had a heading for Google, say, and then you had the date. And of course, you created your search string, and that was at the beginning, so you could always highlight and copy it. And pasted into Google and then you listed the hits that you had on that day when you were researching and you could highlight and copy the whole page of hits into TreePad with the links so then you could go back at any time and click on the link and go and search and we developed this system whereby you edit the, the hits and remove superfluous information especially if the hit is no good which we call which I call NBG you know what that stands for? No. No bloody good. <laughs> I'll be using that one. <laughs> okay, so it's just nice and good to just mark it, and, and you can, if you like, have it in red, you know, so yeah. that you know it's a stop. And then if there's one that's quite, that's good, we call that PDG, which is pretty damn good. <laughs> and then when you're searching through a website and you can't really tell whether it's going to be good because you know when it's no good because you identify the people and you know they're not yours yeah. and same for when it's good. But when you're looking at it and you're not too sure, we call that GOK. GOK. God only knows. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And that's the one you come back to when you've got a spare five minutes and have another look at it and see um, just what it's like. So that's where it started. And then as I bring, I've been bringing people to Salt Lake City since 1992, oh, okay. every year from Australia and New Zealand. And um, and I just felt we needed, we'd, we'd find these things, we'd, we'd find a page in a gazetteer and this sort of thing when we were here and then it was lost in all the papers. So from that sort of was born the idea of the reference library. Well, and you just mentioned it, and I wanted to wrap up with you do this Hooked on Genealogy tours. Mm -hmm. Where can they find you on the web? Well, uh, with a very shamefaced, uh -oh. <laughs> I say there's hookedongenealogytours.com, but I haven't updated it for a couple of years. Oh, you've been busy traveling. <laughs> busy traveling, and the computer I created it on died. I have got backups of it, but I just haven't got around to, to doing it. And you get the idea of the tour. Yeah. And you can make contact with them there. But we come here for three weeks each oh, year. Yeah. And then we go on to the UK for three weeks. Oh, boy, a wonderful service. Jan, I'm looking forward to not only your presentation, all the ones here. It's just amazing, the, the hubbub going on. And I'm really pleased that you took a few minutes out to talk with all of us here on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Profile America, Tuesday, March 8th. A look at the calendar will tell you that it's just over a month until income taxes are due. This time, the annual household battle to get all the needed paperwork together will occur against the backdrop of heightened political rhetoric about Americans' tax burden. Today marks the anniversary of the date in which the Internal Revenue Service began to levy and collect taxes in 1913 just a little over a month after the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, granting Congress the power to levy such taxes. 
Now about 143 million tax returns are filed each year, reporting more than $6 trillion in taxable income. You can find these and more facts about America from the U.S. Census Bureau online at census.gov. Thanks so much to Jan Gao, CEO of Hooked on Genealogy Tours and Beehive Books, for joining us here on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Hooked on Genealogy Tours, they just sound fantastic. Um, Head on over to hookedongenealogytours.com. And you'll find that they she does really extensive tours. Uh, they hit Salt Lake City. They go to London. Um, it is just weeks and weeks of wonderful genealogy heaven, as she puts it. <laughs> and also, of course, Beehive Books, where you'll find family history materials, particularly servicing those in New Zealand and Australia. It's at beehivebooks.co.nz. And thanks so much to you for taking time out of your busy day and week to join me here on the podcast. I'm always glad that you do. If you have any questions or comments, please do send me an email at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.